Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome into the Tuesday, December the 10th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll get to the aftermath from Sunday's loss in New York, the snap counts, the team and player stats, and everything in between, plus the out-of-town scoreboard watching Miami needs to do down the stretch and another potential alternative if it is not to a B, plus where Miami will finish with X amount of wins in the draft and some inside stories from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review for the very best Miami Dolphins podcast on the internet. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the aftermath and all the stats up on LOD.com right now. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And I want to start this podcast by getting something off my chest. It's a common response I get when I tweet my usual silver lining information tweets that come out on Mondays after the games. And look, I am fully aware that bragging about going 5-4 and four after the bye week, or nearly doing it, I should say, is a ridiculous thing to get excited about on the whole. But please consider some flippin' context with this. Consider this team has half the cash owed to its roster as the next lowest team on that list. Consider that this team had nearly 50% UDFAs on the roster. Consider that this team will finish the season having given reps to more players. 78 is the record. We are at 73 right now with several players joining the roster next week. We are going to get to that mark in a couple of games going forward than any team in the history of the National Football League. This team is supposed to be the worst team in league history, and they're not. In fact, they're downright better than a few of the teams in the league this year, and that alone is a completely remarkable fact. This team was designed to lose games. They were built to go 0-16, and the density is ridiculous to me on this topic, but I also understand where that comes from. And speaking of beat guys... Barry Jackson continues to pump out the best content among the beat writers as far as I'm concerned. I really don't think opinions from the beat guys do it for me, but getting information we otherwise cannot get, that sure does, and that's what Barry does. So a pair of stories here from the Miami Herald over the last 24 hours. First, about Taco Charlton, who was inactive for the game on Sunday despite leading the team in sacks since he got here after the Cowboys game in week number three. Taco was a healthy scratch from the game on Sunday, and Brian Flores says, according to Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, that it wasn't performance or practice-based, but rather game plan related. Quote, we needed to go with some other guys from a game plan standpoint, end quote, Flores said. And that was pretty much it. He did praise Taco for the job he's done all season long, but the story continues on about Flores chasing down the ref 
after that botched call on Sunday that cost the Dolphins the game, he admitted to getting over things quickly, but also that, quote, it's an emotional game and that his anger was for the players. He was upset because, quote, he sees them work day to day and put it on the line for each other. It's not about me. I'm all about serving those players. It's not about me at all. It's about those players, those coaches, the cafeteria people, the equipment staff. We put a lot into this, end quote. Then, of course, Flores goes on to say, we've got to make the plays regardless of the calls. And yeah, he's right on that point. And another quick news before we get into the second piece here from Barry, Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson are both in the concussion protocol and their status for Sunday's game against the Giants is uncertain at this point. And Ryan Fitzpatrick will remain as the starting quarterback. So no Josh Rosen, as I continue to tell you guys, his time here in Miami is coming to an end. The other piece up here right now, up on the Miami Herald, is about Michael Dieter, who lost his starting job after playing 100% of the snaps through 12 games. Barry writes that Dave DeGugliamo, the Dolphins offensive line coach, won't offer praise or criticism for Michael Dieter. No matter how hard the beat guys try to get it out of him, he just won't say anything discouraging or encouraging. But Dieter was not made available in the locker room Monday to the media. But Flores did praise Dieter for the way he handled that demotion, saying, quote, Dieter is a team guy. Whatever we feel is best for the team, he will jump in and do that. I know he was disappointed, but at the same time, he wanted to see us do well and he was ready to go, end quote. And Dieter did get into the game for nine snaps. And that comes just one week after Brian Flores said that Dieter has had a good rookie season to date. And look, Flores isn't going to give you anything. We should have learned that back in February when he was hired, but he did praise Dieter. And at least the entirety of the situation proves that Dieter has the right attitude telling reporters that he knows the coaches only want to get this stuff out of him to make him better. He says, you can look at this in one of two ways. You can look at it and say, do I just suck? Or you can have the mentality that these things are the areas where I can get better. So at least he has the right approach for getting himself back to the success that he enjoyed playing along the offensive line in college at Wisconsin. He did admit that he's not where he needs to be at the left guard position. And that is very true through the stats and the film. Dieter is tied for the most sacks allowed by any guard in football. That comes from Pro Football Focus via Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald and only one guard has allowed more pressures than Michael Dieter this season. So is Dieter the team's left guard next season? It will depend on how the offseason goes, but I think at best right now, he's competing for a job, and I tend to lean more towards no because with Trey Smith of Tennessee, Shane Lemieux of Oregon in the draft, and Joe Tooney, the Patriots left guard, quite likely available in the free agency, you could really upgrade that spot next year with just one plug-and-play move, and I just don't think Dieter has given you enough this year to push you off that idea at all. So you can really, really stand to upgrade that spot, and it's high time to upgrade your quality of sleep with Casper. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash locked NFL. That's all caps, one word, casper.com slash locked NFL and using promo code locked NFL at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Toss out with the game. From full steps to a whole nother domain. Yeah. 
It's a Tuesday here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and that means we are talking about the aftermath from the game on Sunday. We take three days to get over things here on the podcast. Tomorrow we'll have the All-22, and then we'll turn the page on Crossover Wednesday to take a look at the New York Giants for the Dolphins Week 15 opponent coming down the pipeline once again back in the same building as they were on Sunday against the Jets. And we jump here now into the LockedOnDolphins.com article, the Aftermath article, to take a look at where the Dolphins land on the ranking spectrum, where their individuals are, and of course the snap counts from the game on Sunday. And the biggest claim to fame we had going this season was the Dolphins' red zone offensive percentage in the top three heading into that Jets game. We we knew it was going to go down after an 0 for 5 performance on Sunday against the Jets in the red zone. Miami could not finish their drives, of course, being down several bodies at the skill positions, a bad offensive line, and no running game to speak of. That's kind of a given, but things went awry for them anyway. They are now down to 56.8% conversion rate, dropping about 13 percentage points and falling all the way from third to 16th in the NFL now in red zone touchdown scoring. The Dolphins' third down offense ranks 26th in the NFL. They are converting 34.4% of their third down plays into chain moving plays. And Ryan Fitzpatrick leading this passing game. They averaged 216.2 yards per game. That's 23rd best in the NFL. The rushing attack, despite its season best performance on Sunday, still ranks dead last at 67.3 yards per game. And now at 17 points per the highest up mark of the season for Miami, they rank 30th in scoring offense. And on the other side, the Dolphins allowed just 22 points on Sunday. That was the lowest mark since the victory back in Indianapolis on November the 10th. The Dolphins' defense ranks 30th in total defense, 23rd in passing defense. They are 30th against the run and still are dead last in scoring at 30.7 points per game. So averaging 17 points on offense, allowing 30 on defense. You'd like to see those numbers flipped around the other direction. Hopefully that happens in the coming years. Miami's defense are allowing 59.2% of red zone drives to end in touchdowns. That ranks 23rd in football and on third downs on defense, the opposition converts 43.9% of the time. That's good for 26th in the National Football League. Miami are still a top 10 missed tackle percentage team, so they're still tackling well and they're still doing well on the penalty front. They've allowed the sixth fewest penalty yardage this season with the fifth fewest penalties accepted against them. Snap counts on the offensive side and Miami had to go to 12 and 13 personnel way more than they have this year altogether because of the injuries at the wide receiver position. The Dolphins played three tight ends at least 33 snaps in this game. So Clive Walford goes from a seven or eight snap per game player all the way up to 33. Miami entered this game playing 12 or 13 personnel roughly 20% of the time and 12 personnel made up 19% of their total snaps on the season. 13 personnel, just 1% of the total snaps. That all changed on Sunday. But we go back to the quarterback position. Ryan Fitzpatrick played every snap, all 72 of them. And at the running back position, Patrick Laird goes from an afterthought to the main guy, pretty much the only guy. He played 59 snaps. That's good for 82%. And Miles Gaskin got 13 reps, good for 18%, where Chandler Cox played seven, just good for 10%. So not many 21 personnel packages, a lot of 12 personnel, more 13 than usual. And of course, the receiver group is why that happened. Alan Hearns leads the way with 57 snaps, only 79% of the snaps for Miami's top top 
snap getter. That number had been up in the 90s going back to Preston Williams and even more recently with Devontae Parker, but of course, both those guys not in the game. Isaiah Ford was second with 55 snaps. That's good for three-fourths. And Devontae Parker only played 18. That's one quarter, 25%. And Albert Wilson played 17, good for 24%. Mac Hollins probably wasn't supposed to play on offense in this game, but he had to. 10 snaps, good for 14%. At tight end, Mike Gesicki played 50. That's 69%. Nice. Durham Smythe played 41 snaps, that's 57. And of course, Clive Walford, the 33 snaps, was good for 46%. So basically, the offense had to scrap their initial game plan and make up a new one on the fly because of those injuries. Anytime you lose two players at a position, it really changes things in this league. Along the offensive line, four guys played the entirety of the game. Julian Davenport, Daniel Kilgore, Evan Bame, and Jesse Davis all played 72% or 72 total snaps, 100% of the snaps each. Keaton Sutherland played 63, that's 88%, and Michael Dieter, of course, had those nine snaps, good for 12% to make up the rest of the offensive line. And isn't it just kind of comical how the Dolphins' healthiest unit this year has been the offensive line, by far the worst unit on the entire football team. They've been dinged up in the secondary, at receiver, at tailback, along the defensive line. They've had linebackers miss some time. But of course, the one group holding strong is that offensive line. Just another cruel data point in a cruel, cruel season as Dolphins fans. Ryan Fitzpatrick goes from his best statistical game to one of his worst of the season since he came back into the lineup in that Washington post by week number six game. His passer rating was just 65. He had several interceptable passes in this game, in my opinion. He was under 7 yards per attempt at 6.6, and he completed only 40% of his passes against pressure for just 5.1 yards per attempt. We talked about it on the podcast on Sunday, how Isaiah Ford made the most of his opportunity as he shows up with 92 yards on nine targets. That's better than 10 yards per attempt. He averaged 5.5 yards after the catch on the day in total. And Devontae Parker caught both his targets for 28 yards, but of course left the game with a concussion. The other downside was Mike Gesicki caught just 25%, one out of his four targets, although I saw five on Yahoo. Discrepancy there between Bay and Pro Football Focus. Averaging just 1.5 yards per target, although to his credit, again, there was an inaccurate throw on a red zone shot when Gasicki uncovered into the end zone. Alan Hearns continues to contribute on the exact same plane every single week, right around four, five, six catches, 50, 60 yards. He had seven targets and 68 yards in this game, and his yards per attempt over the last four games is up to 7.84. He's got 196 yards in the last four games on 25 targets, a very reliable slot guy in that regard. Patrick Laird, almost all of his damage came off either tackle. He had two long runs, a 16 and 14 yarder. Both were either off a left tackle or the right tackle, including 12 yards after contact on the run off the left side. Of his 44 rushing yards, 34 of them came off tackle. He averaged 2.21 yards after contact and caught all four of his targets for 38 yards. So another cool 82-yard day for Patrick Laird. And Julian Davenport had his best game as a pro on Sunday. No pressures, no hits, no hurries, no sacks, but he did have a terrible run blocking grade. Once again, Daniel Kilgore leads the way with five pressures allowed, but all of those were hurries. Keaton Sutherland was next with four pressures, and just one of those was a hit on the quarterback. Other three were just hurries. Right guard Evan Bame had a tough re-entrance back into the lineup. His three pressures on Fitzpatrick were all hits, and Jesse Davis allowed just one pressure, a hit, on top of what I thought was his best run-blocking game as a right tackle to date. On the other side of the football, defensive snap counts 
Christian Wilkins once again leads the defensive lineman with 48 snaps. That's good for 68%. Devon Godshaw plays 37, back down to 52%. He had climbed up into the 80s in recent weeks. This is more his speed, I think. Avery Moss played 24 snaps, 34%. John Jenkins played just 21 reps, good for 30%. And Gerald Willis got out there for 11 snaps. That's good for 15%. At linebacker, Jerome Baker did not leave the field. He played all 71 downs. Vince Beagle played 59 snaps. That's good for 83%. Raekwon McMillan had 46 snaps. Andrew Van Ginkle had 35. Sam McGuavin had 33. And Charles Harris got out there for 24 snaps on Sunday. So that's a lot of reps for linebackers. The Dolphins making do with what they have. Obviously their best, deepest position right now at linebacker on defense. And that's how they're treating it. In the defensive backfield, Nick Needham, Eric Rowe, and Adrian Colbert all played 71 snaps each. Good for 100% of the workload. Jamal Wiltz was next with 61 snaps. Ryan Lewis played 44. Ken Webster, 29. And Stephen Parker, 25 in the game on Sunday. And Parker was given the best grade of the day from Pro Football Focus with an elite blue 90 score in the game. I'm curious to know how they decide that because his fatal decision on that final drive should have been downgraded big time. That was just an atrocious play to give the Jets 37 yards on the most critical possession of the game. He did have that pick, however. I assume that really influences things. Christian Wilkins was next. He had four more pressures in the game, three more run stops, and earned green grades all across the board. And Adrian Colbert, the former Miami Hurricane safety, had his best game, according to Pro Football Focus, since joining the team, did not allow a reception in his deep safety position, and he made one tackle and missed another. How that works, I'm not sure. Raekwon McMillan made just three tackles in the game, but they were all good for run stops. But his effectiveness, to me, was more measured by the way he attacked those lead blocks and spilled fullbacks out all day long. I thought he was integral to Miami's best run defensive day of the season, just as Devon Godshaw is every single week. He had a pressure and two more run stops. His strong season continues. And Gerald Willis got into the column this week. He picked up two quarterback pressures. Both of them were hurries on just seven pass rushing reps. Vince Beagle had two pressures of his own right and three run stops. Did not allow a reception and six coverage reps on top of that. And Nick Needham surrendered 54 yards on three of six passing. Though, if you take away the stupid touchdown to Demarius Thomas that was just a BS call, should have been two for six for 20 yards, a much better day for Needham. He also made six more tackles, two of those for run stops, and Eric Rowe continues to get after it, allowed just two of four completions for 16 yards total. He blanked tight ends on just one target, but he took them out. He also made 10 total tackles, missed just one, and four of those tackles were good for run stops in the game. He has been blanking tight ends basically since he got into the lineup at safety in that Washington game. We'll finish up the rest of that article and talk about some other teams' quarterbacks and how it could impact Miami's quarterback move going forward. But first, if you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrapped to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and at Wingfield NFL on Twitter, and we will share and retweet accordingly. We thank you all for the support. We're going to talk about somebody else's quarterback here in just one second. But first, how about someone else's quarterback or our former quarterback? We have to talk about Ryan Tannehill because 
we just do for years. For years, I tried to convince Dolphins fans that if you play Ryan Tannehill in a 12 personnel heavy attack that gave him deep drops, flood concepts, some vertical shots built in, setting things up off of play action, that he could be a deadly quarterback, that he could be a good integral part of a good football team, a playoff team, a top 12 type of quarterback who could go on runs where he played like a top 10 or even a top 5 quarterback for long stretches at a time, and that's what he's done so far in Tennessee. Look, he would not have worked in this scheme. It does not suit his game whatsoever. But even back to his rookie season, that underwhelming 2012 season, when I charted all of his plays and into 2013, 2015, 2016, and beyond, even then, he had absurd numbers off play action and throwing outside the pocket. He's not a quick twitch guy. We know that. Not an inherent sense to erase free rushers. But if you know how to call an offense around him, he can be deadly with his accuracy, with that huge arm, and another athleticism to really complement that play action boot passing game and what has he done he's put together a historic run since taking over in week seven for the titans Tannehill has the titans at six and one that's the second best mark in the nfl behind the ravens he's got them at 31.4 points per game also second behind the ravens 395 yards per game also second and 6.95 yards per play that is number one in the National Football League. Ryan Tannehill joins Aaron Rodgers as the only quarterbacks in NFL history with three straight games of 75% or better completion and a passer rating of better than 130 in the game. He joins Russell Wilson as the only player ever with four straight games of two touchdown passes and a rating of 125 or better in all four games. Tannehill's 9.8 yards per attempt is 1.3 yards better than the next highest of guys qualifying with more than 100 pass attempts. That second place guy, by the way, is Matthew Stafford. Ryan Tannehill is number one in the NFL in passer rating. He's two tenths of a percentage point behind Drew Brees for number one in completion percentage. He's number one in yards per attempt, and he trails only Lamar Jackson in touchdown percentage. He's second to Pat Mahomes in adjusted net yards per pass attempt. He's third in game-winning drives and fifth and fourth quarter comebacks. And remember, he's played just half the season. Why am I telling you this on a Miami Dolphins podcast here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast? Because, well, I lost followers, I lost listeners, and credibility in the eyes of some for my stance on Ryan Tannehill as a pretty good player. And I'm just going to go ahead and accept apologies now. But mostly, the reason I'm telling you this is to trust me to build up my own credibility on evaluating quarterbacks for this Dolphins football team, and that's where this next one comes in. And there are these strange mandates I see every day on Twitter, stipulations that people seem to have that are tied to a particular quarterback in the second tier of quarterbacking, that number two tier that is not the elite guys, because people somehow think that having no quarterback is better than having a tier two quarterback. It's just so odd to me. There are maybe three or four, five at best quarterbacks that will have elite seasons every single year from now until they retire. The rest of the good ones are guys like Tannehill where the right situations can elevate them into elite status for a year at a time, maybe a couple years. Guys pop up, guys go back down. That's the nature of the league. You're not going to be the same guy every single Sunday. But that plane, that existence of Tier 2, that's where Matt Stafford exists. There's rumblings out there that the Lions could possibly move on from their longtime quarterback. It's totally unsubstantiated, so don't think anything else. And nothing more than Twitter rumors at this point. 
but it's worth exploring because he'd be the best veteran option out there in a year where all of a sudden the quarterback pickings seem rather thin. Plus, Miami was attached to Matt Stafford in 2018. Was that an Adam Gaze production? Was Chris Greer involved? We'll never know, but maybe they recircle that thought, especially with the idea that Jim Caldwell could be back. Over the last four years, Matt Stafford is 1,313 completions on 2,005 passes. That's good for a 64.5% completion rate for 15,049 yards. That's 7.5 yards per attempt. He's got 93 touchdown passes and 36 picks. That's good for a passer rating of 96, which is top 10 in the NFL over that four-year stretch. Matt Stafford played 136 consecutive games before this injury this season. 136. That's more than eight years without missing a game. He has the admiration of Jim Caldwell, and Stafford is a tremendous fit for this Dolphins scheme. He's a smart player with a terrific inherent feel for the rush. He knows where the hot reads are. He knows how to get the throw in behind the blitz. He has one of the biggest arms in the league, so the entire playbook is open. And he's elite at managing the pocket and finding passing lanes. And did I mention he'd be perfect in this particular offensive scheme? If the Lions are dumb enough to let Matt Stafford go, the Dolphins have to pick up the phone and find out how much it'll cost because I don't know what the trade compensation will be. Definitely starts with a first round pick and probably some more. I would see about a first this year, the Pittsburgh or Houston pick and a future two. And I would pull the trigger on that move if you have any hesitation about getting to a tongue of Iloa, who still remains option one for this guy. I would do that and build this team around Matthew Stafford. He's under contract through 2022, so three more years of club control. There's an out in his contract after next season. And over those three years, he's owed right around $60 million. And when that new CBA gets signed, quarterbacks are going to be making $40 million per year at the top of the market. Most of that money is going to be guaranteed. So you can get a top 10 type of quarterback for half the going rate of getting one. It's a sure thing to get a quarterback of his caliber as he enters age 31. That's right around the time that most quarterbacks hit their stride and hit their prime like a Ryan Tannehill. But again, let's go back to option number one. And if Tua Tungavailoa does decide to announce he's going to go ahead and come out for the draft, we have some new teams to keep an eye on because I think that everybody right now ahead of Miami in the draft is pretty much a non-threat to draft Tua. I think Burrow goes to Cincinnati. That's pretty obvious. I think the Washington football team would go after Chase Young if they get a crack at him. And then I think the Giants would go after either C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy, or maybe it's Washington that does that and the Giants get Chase Young. Or the GM who thinks that Daniel Jones is his answer goes after another one of his hog mollies, whatever the hell that means. Anyway, I think any of those three teams do not have a threat to Miami. So then we have to look at the teams right below Miami and teams that could threaten to jump the Dolphins if the Finns win a couple more games. We're talking, of course, about the Lions, who probably finish out the year with losses because they're 0-5 without Matt Stafford, and they have games against Green Bay and Tampa Bay and one road date in Denver. I'm just not sure if David Blau wins those games. The Cardinals, with Kyler Murray's hamstring and how bad he's playing with that hamstring, are home for the Browns on Sunday before road games in Seattle and at the Rams. They got 
got to beat Cleveland, probably their last chance to get a victory this season. And Jacksonville probably going to go 0-3 to finish out the string. They've been the worst team in football since their bye week. They'll finish up with games in Oakland and Atlanta before coming back home to the Colts. And the Falcons, I think, are probably clear of danger with regards to jumping Miami because they're playing pretty good ball right now. They finish up at San Francisco. That'll be a loss. Then home for the Jags. And then again at home for Tampa Bay. They could win both those games. So I think all things told, Miami are probably going to be favored to win these next two games. Maybe it'll be close against the Giants. We'll see what happens on Monday night. But I think the expectation is for them to finish 5-11. and 11. And if they do, after crunching these numbers, it looks to me like 5-11 and 11 will put them at the 7th spot in the draft at worst. If they win one of the two games, I think they'll be at 5th or 6th in the draft. And no wins will get them into the top 3 of next year's draft. And if they win 3 games and beat the Patriots, they'll probably be out of the top 10 altogether. So you root accordingly. I am going to get out of here for this Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We've got all 22 review and crossover Wednesday with Locked On Giants on tomorrow's show. But as for now, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fuck your mask off. Mask off.